Loki, A Gentle Rain, and Imperium. This is Staying In. There is apparently, like, a... Um, I, 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 is it a mental condition? I don't know. But it's a thing whereby people get genuinely aggressive when they hear eating sounds from other people. There is a, a specific thing. And it actually makes people really upset and aggressive, right? Oh, the, the, the sound of masticating. Correct. That Correct. ASMR, yeah, said yeah, yeah. Very, very carefully. Very specifically. Uh, the ASMR of it. Yeah, exactly. That kind of like, you know, scrunching kind of sound that you get when you're you're eating your food, and or if somebody's, I don't know if because obviously I don't I don't know if you know I don't Chris I don't know if you've listened to an ASMR video, but you know when you you know when you had like you were at school and there'd be that one kid who would eat with their mouth open like, all the time, and, and because you know they haven't been raised right, and um like it was that sort of sound I think that people really don't. Like that, that they. Don't Which is like. fair for me. I, I, my, I don't. My ears disagree with ASMR. My wife loves yeah. ASMR, and finds it very soothing. But yeah. for me, it's that that those sounds just go straight through me. Right. I just, right. It's, oh, it just oh, it makes me kind of like flinch. A... So Dan, like, so what soothes you to get to sleep at night? What I used to go to sleep, and I've used it for. I think I'm probably mentioned this before. I've used this probably ten years at least, and it still works. Mm. Is the audio books. Of Harry Potter, read by Stephen Fry. Okay, now is it specifically because there's a word? There's lots of nice words that you like, like Muggle and Hocus Pocus and uh, and <laughs> Sauron. You fell at the second hurdle. Yeah, yeah, right. Is it is it that or is it Stephen Fry's lovely voice? I, and I think it's Stephen tundra. Fry's lovely voice. Yeah, that kind of. Monotonous is the wrong word because it's not monotonous, but that kind of gentle hum of it. Because um, I'm not like the world's biggest Harry Potter fan. It's not like I'm, I'm obsessed. Well, you but... are. You've listened to the same books for ten years. You've, I mean, how many how many times have you read them officially? Because like you know, if you if you listen to a book a night, but uh, to, as okay as a test to see how how well you think this is in ten years. Okay, yeah. How many playthroughs of the books do you think I've gone through? two playthroughs mm. of the, all yeah. of the books how many books are there seven, seven. books seven books so 14 and this books. is every this is every single day i'm currently halfway through I june and i do that in about 10 minute bursts when i'm feeding hugo well the, uh, the way where i literally i put it like a place of a chapter on and then i play it and then i fall asleep and then i play it from the last bit that i remember and then i play again and i fall asleep and I, that's how I, that's how it works so i i incrementally increase and there's certain chapters i it takes me a long time to get past certain chapters I get through yeah. quickly. But yeah, 10 years every single night. I reckon you must have gone through it like at least 10 times the entire series. So you're at saying least. you're saying it takes me a year to listen to the series? It's got to be, right? About a year? A year a series? Yeah, why not? Well, Sam was closer. Really? It, yeah. Uh, I'm, on my, I'm on probably midway to kind of, I think I'm on like book five of my third playthrough. Okay, all right. So what this really says is that is it works? you are you are yeah, <laughs> you are out like a light. Like the, I tell you what, I'm I'm currently at a moment and it occasionally happens where I play a certain chapter and for whatever reason I just can't get to the end of it. I fall asleep every single time. Mm. And I've been on a chapter for about 3 months now. Mm. And there've been so many times I've been like I'm wide awake tonight. I'm going to put it on. I know I'm going to get to the, the chapter tonight cuz I'm wide awake. 10 minutes later, boom, Straight I'm out up. like a light. I, yeah. Have you ever been tempted, Dan? Because you know, in like 
apps like Audible, you can increase or decrease the speed of the telling. Mm, yeah. Have you ever been tempted Chipmunk to do that? Chipmunk up, Stephen Fry. I've got no need. It, 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 it's, the design is it for it to send me to sleep and it does it perfectly. I've tried other things as a variation. I tried the um, the BBC radio adaptation of Lord of the Rings. It's far too stimulating. Kept me awake. Mm. So I think I think one of the things that we should talk about is why don't you mix it up a little bit, Dan? What, like he's just, you know, Fry's just done the second collection of Woodhouse adaptations. So he's just done uh, a bunch of Blanding's Castle stuff. I think uh, so. You'll get introduced to some really awesome characters that are kind incredible. Of, yeah, they're. I mean, they're genuinely incredible. You know, he's, he does the Jeeves and Worcester stuff in the first collection, or you know, some of the Jeeves and Worcester stuff in the first collection. He's also got obviously, you know, talked about you know some of the other audio books and stuff that he's done and the books that he's written. But there's tons of stuff he's done. Sherlock Holmes. You could, you could, you could mix it up. You could go to uh, Mythos as well. Mythos. Yeah. But but I'm not I'm not interested in the content. That's that's the thing. Not that not yeah, that I'm not interested asleep. in the in. What does it matter? You've already read the books. You know what's going to happen. Yeah, oh, but I see I see where Dan's coming from on this one. I see where Dan's coming from on this one. Like he's. Like, I'm interested in in all those things that you say. Yeah, but well, I'm not. not I don't listen to... to it because I'm interested in it. But the problem ah, is, you're not going right. to be able to listen to them, Dan. Exactly. I'll be asleep. Yeah. <laughs> So Dan, Dan, I'm I'm gonna drill down into this. When you when you see Stephen Fry being interviewed, you start to kind of just go. Your eyes start to get. I do, a bit, I, I, your eyelids start to get. I heavier. do become a bit more relaxed. Yes, oh, I kind yeah. of sink a little bit deeper into my chair. My eyes start to droop. I have to snap myself out of it. So on on Sunday, it's it's happening. It's finally happening. Um, we all know the big event um, that's going to be happening on Sunday. Desperately thinking what other events are happening. Mm. Sam, oh, actually, I know, I know, I know. It is a delayed event. It's been promised for for so long, but it's going to be the first time that I. Well, I I know it's for, for me. I don't know about Chris, but it's going to be the first time that I go to the cinema since February the second, twenty twenty, where I went on my own to go and see Parasite. <laughs> but yeah, Chris and I are going to uh, the cinema on Sunday to watch Black Widow. Yeah. And, and, and Sam, how many other people will be in that um, cinema, do you think? Because some other, other national event a- appears to also occur on that day, I did briefly just check to see if we could amend tickets, uh, which we can't. And considering that we've already pre-ordered food, like our total bill was like 50 quid. So, <laughs> yeah, it would just be us, Chris. So have you booked tickets for the same time as the other national event? Uh, yeah, well... Or is it just on the well, same no, day? no, it's at nine o'clock at night, so... So, yes. For those not in the know, Sam and Chris are talking about the European <laughs> Football Cup 2021. Oh, you're so cl- Pete, you are so close. You are so close not the European, the European Football, Football Cup. Cup 2021 either. So you got the year wrong. In the and the competition, and it's the teams England <laughs> versus Italy. So I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna watch the first 20 minutes with my father-in-law because every match I've watched, partly with quote unquote a grandpa, uh, England have won. So I feel like I need to get that in the bag, and then I don't know what to. Because I mean, that's the only way they're gonna win. And I don't know what to do. Basically, pre, during, and post. Black Widow. So do I picture in picture 
considering we're the only ones there. Sorry, Chris, it'll be a bit annoying for you, but you know. Sam. <laughs> Sam. I could this 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 is a train. I could wreck I could eighty sitcom style earphone in cheering at inappropriate moments in Black Widow. <laughs> So, hold on. Pre, during, and after, mm-hmm. Sam. This is what you're going to be doing. Pre, do whatever you want. After, do whatever you want. During, please watch the film. <laughs> please just watch the film. Like, you can just... Like, Dan recorded it. He's already shown you can record Yeah, matches. but the thing is... Yeah, but no, no, hang on. It's slightly different because I, cause that film's going to finish, like, going to be out of there about 11 o'clock. I can't come home and then okay. watch an hour and a half of football in that time also potentially there may be very little chance of sam being able to get home without finding out the results <laughs> right um so so this is the so this this black widow movie is it a movie it is yes. isn't it it's not like a it's a proper movie not it is more, a full-blown movie yes because there's been a lot of so is this the is this the first movie by marvel studios uh, after the finale of Endgame, no, they did um, Spider-Man. But is, um, was that Far Mar- from Home? But was that Marvel Studios? That, that yeah. was Marvel Studios in collaboration with Sony. Yes. So if you talk about it in terms of the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, there was a break for COVID, and this is the first one that has been it's released since. Kind of, they break their films into phases. So the ending of Phase Three was Endgame, and then Spider-Man: Far from Home. That was the ending of Phase Three. This is the first film in Phase mm. Four. With with the okay. with the TV so, series kind of keeping the the hype going, yeah, right, fleshing out that mm. world a bit more. And this is my understanding is that this is a prequel for spe- very specific reasons. It is a it is a prequel. Hashtag maybe spoilers. I I think at this point, if someone is listening to listening to this podcast, who is a Marvel fan who wants to watch the films and who at this point hasn't seen Endgame, I, I think there's no hope for you. I think we I think spoilers are okay for those films. I think we've already spoiled it in the past. Yeah, anyway. well, the fact that if you went to go and see this film anyway, or if you've watched any of the TV series, the, the, end, the end of Endgame is ruined in the opening title sequence, then I, I think like it's pretty much... They, they kind of assume that the second biggest film of all time the majority of people who want to see it will know what I've gone on. So we'll probably. I probably mean, that's a fair assumption. So, what have the TV series been doing then? What have they have they been prequels? Have Whatever they been, the, the hell no. they like, <laughs> right? Which <okay>. is great. <laughs> yeah, the TV series have have had a little bit of carte blanche. Obviously, there's a degree of fan service there, but one does get the impression that they're not expecting every person on the planet to get a Disney Plus account. So theoretically, if you just wanted to go to the cinema to get your Marvel fix, you're not going to feel like you've missed out on stuff because the events of Endgame and Spider-Man Far From Home, say, for example, even if you watched the, if you just stuck with the films, you wouldn't feel as if, hang on, there's a kind of a massive gap here. What the TV shows do is kind of embellish that gap and develop characters in particular characters that are often in the uh, kind of in the sidelines perhaps secondary or tertiary characters in the cinematic series now becoming much more prominent and you're actually ending up with a tv series spending much much more time with these characters than you would have done through the any of the films really so that's that's been really quite an interesting experience really 
it'd be interesting to see how the how the following films pick up the threads laid out in the TV series because for me they seem to be doing a lot of heavy lifting in a, in a good way. What they're doing is they're taking characters from the Phase Three time, taking them forward and kind of developing them. So when they reintroduced, they can be in a slightly different position. So so far we've had Wonder Vision, which we've talked about before, um, and Wonder Vision leaves the lead character of Wonder in a very different place to when she finished the film the pre the previous film she was in which was endgame she's in a very different place then we've seen falcon and the winter soldier which again has left both kind of characters especially the character falcon in a very different position to where we left him off and now we have this new series that's come out recently which is loki which for my money and i absolutely adored wandavision because all the stuff it was doing i thought was fantastic I thought it was doing really um, interesting, different stuff, taking the MCU in a completely different direction and kind of really committing to that. You then had Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which to me felt like uh, it was fine. It very very much felt like we have to do this because we have to get to this story beat. So we just have to kind of get through this. Um, and now we have Loki, which again feels like WandaVision did in a sense of this is doing interesting stuff. This is talking about things that... I never thought the MCU would talk about. Now, I'm not going to go into spoilers because there's so many twists and turns and it's it's a fantastic ride to be on. But quite early on, you you find them talking about the ideas of philosophy and fate and what does everything mean? And if you do this, what? how can it react on different people? And are we all destined to follow fate or do we make our own choices? And these are big questions that it's addressing. Yeah, the the the. the, the the big touchstone I get, and I get this from the music, there's a touchstone of Clockwork Orange for me. And I every time I hear, especially the music, that's the kind of the synth electronic music. That's what's coming through. Now, it it how far you take that kind of connection is debatable. Um, it's certainly doing different stuff. And that's, uh, that is a thing that came to me. The production design is absolutely stunning. Um, the the production designer had previously worked on I think uh, Captain Marvel. Uh, she worked on uh, Black Panther, and I I mean if you look at Black Panther, that is in, that looks incredible as well. I mean, so th those two movies, uh, Captain Marvel and Black Panther, are like two of my favorites. Like I actually thought they were really really good. <laughs> like, yeah, I enjoyed those. But more. like the amount of times I've been watching with, with my wife who likes the Marvel films, she hasn't she does enjoy them. She's not as kind of engrossed in it as I am. But we watched, we've been watching Loki and the amount of times we've talked about how amazing it looks. It's that kind of retro vintage kind of look. And it, again, the, there, are, there are similarities with some of the production design in terms of Clockwork Orange. You don't have necessarily kind of the whites of Clockwork Orange, but that kind of 70s aesthetic is absolutely there. And it's done in really kind of interesting ways. And that's just, that's just the look of it, the look of it and the sound of it. Now, what you what you have, and I don't want to get into it because it is such a fun story that they, they kind of talk about, is you have at the centre of it, you have this character of Loki, Tom Hiddleston, which if any other actor was playing him, wouldn't have the same impact. They kind of caught lightning in a bottle when they cast him in that role, both kind of in this, but kind of going back to when he first got the role in, in obviously Thor and the Avengers films, so perfect for that role and the impact it has on the audience. And his kind of character taking you through this story is is just kind of superb. And it's so likable, but so kind of clever and enables you to do so many things because the, the, so, so much groundwork has been laid um, before. I don't know if any of you guys have seen, 
on Disney Plus they do have a series called Marvel Legends. Um, and they this is um, basically for all of their new films and their kind of TV shows, they have like a very brief, like, it's usually like eight minute episode based on a specific character. So they did Wanda, they did The Vision, they did Winter Soldier and Falcon, all this stuff. And each episode is a single character. And it basically is a montage of their time through the MCU. But it's done, it's edited together really nicely. So for example, with Loki, you watch that and this is all set. It doesn't give you any kind of any stuff from before the series but it just gives you a, a through line of what how that character developed. So when it kind of comes to the, the his end point in Endgame, you see, you've seen that entire transition from the first Thor through to Avengers, through to um, Thor Ragnarok and all that stuff, ending up in kind of um, Endgame. And you see that progression, which then leads you into Loki, the TV series. And that has just taken him, for me, through the roof. I, I'm not sure if I prefer this or WandaVision, but for me, they're they're basically on a par. I've been so so impressed with this. It's been so so good. It's the best um, Doctor Who series um, that's ever been on TV, really. I mean, Doctor Who has been pretty good. Yeah, but this is this strike. I've been watching. I'm going like, is this is this you know, this is really really good. Is this is this, this watching this feels like, is this what I'm missing out on? with Doctor Who, you know, like the, you know, the odd couple relationship, the the time bending, um, uh, traversal across different sort of zones and alien planets and sort of like the cocky sort of person who puts himself in these in these situations, but is so comfortable uh, in his own skin that he doesn't necessarily feel like the need to like blend in or definitely doesn't feel the need to compensate for his own sort of affable nature like it's it strikes me as very it i think i think and and it's got a lot of these um these sensibilities and i think it helps that the director herself is is um is british i know that she, kate heron i know that she's gone on twitter to say things like in the first episode for example has like there are like elements of wallace and gromit um and other like touchstones like that so i think there's there there definitely feels like there is this like doctor who-esque angle to the whole to the whole thing i think it's the best out of the three hands down i think other than other than the cinematography being slightly off like it is terribly dark and like the direction is sort of 70 percent superb the action scenes i think are a little bit sloppy and not really at marvel's best but other than that i think it is like it it does it's managed to do so much across what is now five episodes that exemplifies the 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 stretch and the range and the uh, the the sort of tonality of what would be a normal comic book series arc, which is how I've always how I've always like examined these these TV shows. You know, six six episodes usually an arc in a comic book series about six issues, and yeah, this this one just like especially especially the last episode, episode five, with the amount of like little nods and little Easter eggs and you know things like there's a Polybius cabinet uh, in the background there's never there's never referenced um to at all it, it just sit there and like you'd know about that if you know about the the polybius conspiracy and then there's other little things other little easter eggs like a like a frog 
um, Thor, I think it is, trapped in a jar. And um, at one point, the USS Eldridge turns up in this void that they're in. So if you, so there are just these, there is just these little moments that are constantly, especially in this episode, that constantly get you to like pick up your phone and do like some like some digging and some really interesting things. And it's just great being able to see a program that embraces that sort of wackiness and that sort of um, boldness that quite a lot that the, the the mediums of comics has i think wandavision did this in some regards but kind of like at the end kind of like rolled back and just went to like safe marvel falcon and the winter soldier was pretty much the safest of the safe and reasonably unspectacular whereas this is like full-on like and i think it helps as you're saying when you've got a lead such as tom hiddleston to carry a lot of that a lot of that weight uh with it it's i i i'm genuinely excited for the last episode and it will and unfortunately it will live and die on that last episode because wandavision was like incredible up until the last episode falcon and the winter Sage soldier was average until the last episode so it's kind of got to earn its payoff now i think we talk we talk about kind of tom hiddleston but i think kind of an unsung hero and i'm i've been really surprised wow is, uh, the character of owen wilson wow. uh, the character of mobius played by owen wilson because when i when you kind of i saw he was he was casting it you're kind of like really really owen wilson the guy who kind of did like the movies with vince vaughn the kind of slacker human you're like really this is this is the direction but like and obviously that's 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 just uh, an area of his career where he kind of made a lot of money from it and was very very successful in that but doesn't perhaps lend itself to a wider kind of acting range but he has been absolutely superb in this and has really really surprised me and his character is very kind of subtle and nuanced but is kind of eminently watchable and you kind of really want to spend time with this character, especially the dynamic between you kind of, you have like your, your, your joker with, um, I don't mean that in the sense of the character, but kind of a joking character with Loki and maybe it's the straight man. It kind of that, that dynamic, that odd couple again, does really work kind of fantastically well. And it again develops over the course of kind of the series as you learn more about all of the characters and the kind of the, the time variance authority, which is the kind of this, this kind of overarching organization who control time as, as, as the center of this whole thing. It's a massive kind of story. And obviously this is all part of the comics. I'm not a kind of a comic aficionado, so I don't, I don't know any of this. All of this stuff is new to me. It's done in a way that I never feel like I'm lost. I never, even though they're, they're talking about a lot of complex stuff and it's the relatability of the characters, the likes of the Loki as relatable as he is, but also kind of the, the Mobius character who is an every man. He's a normal, ordinary guy. He's just a guy in an office. And I never thought you would be in a situation where you have this character of Loki, this large than life character, basically let's tell a story of him with an office job and it actually be great. That's, that's the kind of the, the confidence they have now that they can do all this stuff. And with these TV shows, they have that ability to just take their time a little bit. And like you could do it over a film, the length of a kind of a film but this series is going to be roughly six hours long this series so you lose so much of that small nuanced conversation where you really get to dig into the characters and it makes so much difference with this stuff with WandaVision as well obviously WandaVision was shorter episodes because of the the nature of that show and what that show was trying to do um whereas this one is a bit longer so you do have that six hour kind of length over the course of it but it's just 
I, as, as same as you said, I can't wait to find out where it's going to go. It's a shame that I don't think these series are going to kind of move on because I want to spend more time with these characters. They do, they do feel at least like these are going to be kind of one shot series because these, these are, there is a story to tell here as opposed to let's run and run and run with them. So it feels like with One Division, her story has been told and that will then be picked up in the movies. It felt like Falcon and the Winter Soldier story was told. It can carry on. And the same with Loki. I'm fascinated to know what it's going to set up because in some form, all the the other series have set something up going forward. And Loki as a character is completely separate to everyone else in the MCU from where the film's left off. Spoilers, if you haven't seen Endgame, if you haven't seen Infinity War, but you really should have by now. Spoilers, he's dead. So he's completely separate to everybody else. And so he's, be, I'm fascinated to know where his story then comes back into it because it will in some form i'm sure it will because that's that's what they're doing with these this is part of a wider universe peter i want to ask you a question i want you to think about all the choices you've made in life mm, god oh, that have oh taken, god no that have taken you now to oh. where you are now peter willington yeah christ and imagine because they say you know parallel universe theory that every choice that we make there is a, a a version of the universe that is created which is yeah. the alternative choice that we made that kind of branching path yeah, imagine song. that you kind of went to some kind of peter willington reunion and oh. you encountered all those people all those peter willingtons that chose made the other choice yeah like what kind of a atmosphere would be in that space how would you characterize i'd imagine that? they'd still all just look exactly the same haggard <laughs> <laughs> <Just> <laughs> Um, well, half of them haven't turned up because they're asleep. Uh... Be, there will be that Peter Willington who is a pub landlord. Oh, yeah, and a monk. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, monk. and one that is a pub landlord and a monk. Oh, my God. How good would that be? Um, oh, um, hmm. a, pint of, um, a, bi- a pint of Smiths, please. Why? <laughs> <laughs> You'd have one of them would be a fencer. The other one would be a cyclist. And one of them would be yeah. a fencing have... cyclist. Yeah. Oh my god. One of them would respect law enforcement and not ask for a full cavity search. No. I I cannot I cannot Every I, I, every I Willington cannot, will do that. It's I a constant a universe in where that doesn't happen honestly. I, I honestly can't. You know, I, I want you to imagine that like imagine that you've been told Pete that actually you are a variant of Peter Wellington. You made a choice that the actual proper Peter Wellington didn't do. Yeah. And you therefore have to be removed from that <laughs> removed timeline. Removed from the sacred timeline. I just want to know what food's being served to be honest. What my at, my at your at your party of infinite Willingtons, yeah. Uh, yes, because there will be a Peter Willington there who didn't have that, you know, that new lease of life. There'll be the one that will be banging energy drinks. Oh. There's one there who still just eats bacon from a tub. Oh yep. yeah. Oh gosh, yeah. And a burger out of a tin. Oh beautiful stuff. Uh gentlemen, I want you to find a comfortable place in the room. I mean I'm sat down, is that enough? If it's comfortable, Pete, for you, are you, are you in comfortable trousers, loose-fitting trousers? What's I mean, going on down yeah, there? No, I'm definitely in trousers. Yeah, go on. I mean, I've got my headphones on. I can't. My sofa's over there. I would like to stand there, but I haven't got my headphones, so I can't so, hear you then. So I'd like you to kind of centre yourself, you know, check in with your body, this kind of thing, really. That's it. Um, and I just want you to focus on the breath, your breathing. So breathing deeply in through the nose and out through the mouth. And I want you to just to focus on that act of breathing. So, you know, when you're kind of breathing in 
more than usual, say, for example, and you can f kind of feel the diaphragm expanding just below the rib cage, and you're conscious of that sensation of the breath going in and out, just focusing on that sensation. In and out. And in and out. So I just want to talk about um, <laughs> gentle rain. Uh, so quite enjoy that. It's, it's a it's a lovely little game that I pre-ordered quite a while ago and my interest was piqued for two reasons. The first one is that it's a game that is purported to work just as well for a solo experience as it is with multiple players. Mm. And spoilers, it does really, mm. really well. Okay. And secondly, because its designer, so its creator, Kevin Wilson, was the creator of Arkham Horror. And I was... I was my curiosity was piqued in that second for that second reason when I looked at the game and how it played and this felt very unlike the kind of the Cthulhu kind of uh, mythos that kind of world really this is a relaxing meditative experience of a game now often when we think of those descriptors we think of something that is unbearably light that is something that doesn't require too much thought and I kind of really want to kind of kind of clamp down or stop any kind of naysayers from saying oh yeah this is this is too light man it's too light actually this is a very interesting it's a very interesting experience that it, it, it cultivates really where you there's just enough of a challenge that kind of keeps you switched on but it's a very simple premise behind it that allows you to kind of go with that flow really um it's almost like what we were talking about ASMR really that there's something very in, insanely soothing about this game and I've talked to Sam about this quite a lot because Sam secretly also pre-ordered this I didn't know Sam had pre-ordered this and just, it, was, it was just a little bit of fun and and like I, I pre-ordered it but didn't tell Chris and then every time he was like oh yeah Gentle Rain still hasn't still hasn't dispatched I ordered it ages ago I'll be like secretly like yeah tell me about it and then and then when he was just like oh Gentle Rain's dispatched I was like yeah, I already know. Wink, wink. And it was, it was, it was, just, a little, it was just a little bit of fun. <laughs> I, like, I like the all by yourself. You've been having this very gentle level of fun. Know, just by just, yourself. Just, just, just imagine everything else I'm doing behind all of your backs for a little bit of fun. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is the epitome of skullduggery. So what you have is a little box, very tiny little box, and you get these tiles and... They're, they're generally squared tiles, but they've got the, the corners cut off, and I'll explain why in a little bit. And, in, and on the edges of them, you've got half of a blossom, and it's essentially like a jigsaw. It has those feelings of when you've got a stack of tiles in Carcassonne, where you place a tile, and then you place another one, and you're trying to kind of connect the blossom tiles with each other, the blossoms with each other, really. The moment you get four in a kind of a square, that will create an empty circle, and that means you can take one of the blossom tokens and providing that blossom token matches one of the flowers surrounding it, you place it in that centre. And you just keep going as far as you can, and the aim is to try and get all eight blossom tokens there. That sounds unbearably simple, unbearably light. Why should I care about a game like this? Well, it sounds unbearably simple and unbearably light for a person whose who's sort of tabletop lineage includes... I, I've just been looking at... I've just been looking at Kevin Wilson's. It's, it's insane. It's insane. So he has. So he did 
Doom, the board game, which is one of the one of the be- you know one of the better sort of games based on a license. Fury of Dracula Second Edition did the Game of Thrones board mm-hmm. game. Did Fortress America, which is a very well regarded game that's now sadly out of print. Did a version of Cosmic Encounter. Did Sid Meier's Civilization, the board game, the one that I've got that's over there, that's way too complicated for its own good. Uh, did uh, Android Descent? Did Descent, which is one of my favourite games of all time. Uh, did Elder Sign, Arkham Horror, Second Edition, uh, went on to do just so much stuff like RPGs. He's been doing Dungeons and Dragons tabletop games. Been doing turtle stuff with IDW. Worked for Fantasy Flight. My God, like this is so much stuff, and you're telling me that he's made some simple, <laughs> lightweight. I just don't believe you, Chris. No, it's really interesting because I, I've, I've obviously played this quite a lot because I quite like those lighter, fairer games. Like I like Takedo, for example, which I know a lot of people don't like. I like Takedo. Yeah. I like. I really like Takedo, and there's a place for that, I think. Yeah. So I have, but I've played this with lots of people, and I've played this with people who are kind of like quite hardcore gamers, and they kind of turn their noses up at games that aren't like overly strategic that you you know that you 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 haven't got that ability to plan ahead because you can't in this because it's the luck of what tiles you draw. And they really, really like it. I introduced it to my parents, and they go on about that game. And and I'm and, and Sam made a very interesting point, which we'll probably talk about in a little bit around the tiles themselves, because trying to work out what is it about this game that just seems to work, and maybe it's because in the current climate we're in, having that something that's meditative and relaxing, and it does feel relaxing. I know we spoke about a few podcasts ago about me buying a jigsaw at the moon because I felt that need to just kind of go into the zone with something that wasn't a screen, um, something that I didn't necessarily have to engage certain parts of my cognitive faculties to kind of enjoy. There's something quite nice and relaxing about this process. But I think there's there's something that just really kind of lands with this game, really. And I should say it is created by Kevin Wilson, but it's designed by Chris Bilheimer. I ordered it through um, Mondo Games, uh, the kind of the company that have kind of produced this, really. But Sam, we hadn't. You've been playing this in your lunch break. You've been sending me pictures of you playing in your lunch breaks while at work. Yes, yes, I have, and it's exemplary. I, it's, it's, it's gone into my notes as one of my top board games of, of this year, and I think it must be a sign of that designer's lineage about how well it works. Definitely as a purposefully meditative game it's not a game that is relaxing enough or is light enough that makes you feel like you've taken a break or taken a break from the screen i genuinely believe it's a game that recreates the feeling of meditation uh, through through its design when i when i played it for the first time there were just a few things about it that struck me as things that would show up quite early on in playtesting that you wouldn't usually include in a game like it's pretty much 100% maybe a little bit like 90% it's basically 90% luck based where if you get anywhere throughout the game you're just drawing tiles from a card and depending on where you place them you can kind of increase the odds in terms of being able to get all of these wooden tokens down on the table but really it's entirely luck based and that really struck me early on because I was really surprised by that because like 
that's one thing that especially in like modern board game design that designers try to mitigate and adjust for straight away because that's the kind of like and i think it's a kind of like thing that's in the uh that's like on i think it's kind of one of those things that in the scene in inverted commas like that's one thing that most people don't like it's like well it's all luck based and you know but i think that that is the that is the the cleverest touch that a gentle rain does because the majority of it is luck based you just have to let yourself go you have to let yourself just leave strategy behind and just put all of that out of the window so you can just enjoy and sit down and be there with the game and in the moment and that's the and that's the the specific part about um meditation is about doing something doing an exercise whether it's breathing or having focusing on a mantra or a specific um, image that puts you in a moment and allows the rest of your mind just to escape and relax and and wind down and a gentle rain just manages to 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 do that in 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 spades and it's all through its design and and i think it's all very intentional that that you can't count cards that you can't predict try and predict what it's coming that you can't really apply any grand strategy there isn't no kind of like well you found the joker piece which means you can now move two pieces around at will or take two pieces off the table and replace them with two pieces from the oh you've got the scry card which means you can lift the first two up and see what's going to be coming next like there is none of that and it means that you just have as a player you just have the freedom to just go and just put tiles down and see where they match and there and as well as the actual design there's lovely little bits of of general production which which helps create this feeling so the, the backs of the tiles are actually they've got this sort of almost like this um mandala design like and it's embossed so when i when i play it i generally am just sitting there and it almost becomes almost like a, a rosemary bead almost and i can sit there with you know feeling the embossed pattern on the back of the on the back of the tiles and you can almost like twirl it in your fingers so it almost starts even that like physicality that the tactility of the game is also playing into that of that state of mindfulness that state of meditation of of concentrating on something very mundane and very small in order to let yourself relax and Every lunch break, I'm playing it. Every chance I get at work, I'm just going, going, find myself a corner and listening to chill beats on Spotify and just playing it for half an hour. And I think it, and I think it is an exemplary piece of design. I think it is, it's very dangerous to overlook it for how simple it is and how much it relies on luck. I think it's, I think with almost all of the designers gone into, gone into stopping themselves adding stuff in. And I think that's a very brave thing, especially in like, you know, some of the board games um, that we might come on to later on in this podcast. Um, and I th- I also think the manual is beautifully written, like that you take off the top of the box and the first thing it says is something like, um, take a deep breath and relax. And all through the manual, it has these little points, these little touchstones where it's just very concentrated on the fact that you're here just to enjoy this moment. You're not here for high scores. You're not here for doing X, Y, and Z. You can, yet there is, you know, a scoring mechanism because of course, but the the manual is even written in a way 
that is all about getting you into this mood, getting you into this moment of of mindfulness. Like there's a beautiful thing at the end where it's talking about cooperative play. And it's just like, you know, you can play this other people if you want to. Uh, and if you are, while they're taking their turn, just sit back, look at the lake and relax. And I, I, I love it for that, for that, for that kind of design ethos that it has. I think as someone who has dabbled quite um, heavily into meditation in the past, this is, this is the closest that I've come to replicating that same sort of feeling, um, but through playing a game. Yeah, it's, it's really special. And it's one of those few games where I could imagine households out there, this might be the only game they mm. own. And usually when you think of a household owning one game, you think of Monopoly, Blech. you think of Cluedo. Ah. You wouldn't ah. think, you wouldn't, yeah, and that's what they make, the sound they make when they play them. You wouldn't usually think of a game like this, no. but I could genuinely see this being used, you know, I could imagine this being in a therapist's office or a counsellor's office um, as a kind of a, as a as a tool to kind of get into meditation as a means, a way into it. Because meditation, as Sam alluded to, isn't just sitting in the lotus position. It is It is that ability to focus on the now and often that comes from the breath, but it can equally be the soles of the feet when one is walking or running, say, for example. Here, that, that tactility is, is so crucial, um, really. Um, it's a very, very special game. When, when, was the, when was the last time we all played Civilization? Was it, was it four or five that we were playing? We played five. Five, five yeah, because it was, yeah, we never played four. It was either five and then Pete wanted us to get six and we all said no. I do own six, I, I did get six. Okay, I'm just the only holdout. Yeah, <laughs> anyone didn't get six. Um, yeah, they're interesting games, aren't they? <laughs> well, the first the first couple of hours of it are. We've played the first couple of hours about sixteen times. I know. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I love Civ. I love and and specifically the era of Civ I like is Civ Five and Six. Like, um, like the the previous civs they're all very well and good i didn't I, I didn't play them they aren't my jam i love civ 5 civ rev which was amazing civ rev uh, was absolutely incredible civ rev 2 was great that's still i think that's still available actually well worth playing and yeah i love that kind of where it where it kind of accepted its board game roots a little bit more the video games yeah that's when i liked it when when they started using hexes that's when i liked it uh, and, and and what is it that you like like do you is it just do you like the actual replication of like building a society or is it just um the the tech tree-ness of it can i can i can i guess at what you like because i think what you like is pretending to be someone's friend and slowly gaining their confidence and just as they drop their guard you stab them in the back i think that's, that's i think you do that and then you run away giggling to yourself. And I think yeah. that's what that's the kind of the crooks. That's the kind of the that sweet spot of that game is where it all makes sense for now, you. Reading Sun Tzu's The Art of War. Now that is <laughs> that is my that is a, a moment I enjoy. The delicious the delicious moment where I get to stab uh, uh, Elizabeth in the back, basically. Um but no, the thing I love about it actually is role playing as a as a benevolent uh, dictator, basically. Uh, so I always play as I, I, I as a bit of a as a bit of a megalomaniac. Yeah. So I I love to role play as a leader of a society that I would like to see. So what I always do is I always go peaceful. 
I always push into the sciences, into the arts, and I build up our culture, I build up our science, make sure everyone's well fed, mm. make sure that we expand out. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm generally quite militantly atheist, like I'm, I'm, which is not quite me in real life, but like I'm generally like, no, keep those. The military those, definitely um, exists. <laughs> but yeah, sure but um, oh my god I, i'm but, starting to worry about like you know in this alternative peter wellington gathering when yeah. the dictator turns yeah. up. oh yeah absolutely. absolutely at the pub emphasis on um, dick yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and i like carbs so taters are good as well the um but the other part i was dumb so the other the, the other but what i like to do is i like to, i like to role play as that benevolent dictator so that when the first enemy turns up at my borders with my with the military hardware that they have i crush them i cr and i just do not stop i send them back to the dark ages with like with just an overwhelming military supremacy i'm like i'm like do not touch my philosophical uh, uh you know uh, my beautiful philosophy reading art creating people or i will come at you with my I don't know Egyptian chariots. They're the ones I quite like. I quite like playing as Cleopatra, which you can probably see quite a lot of uh, about how I play. Also, fun side note: mm. if you put a pic, a photo of me into um, into that Google Arts app where it says "Who do you look like from from history?" Um, two of the people that come up are Napoleon Bonaparte and Hitler. Wow! Oh! Oh! Well, there's that there's that third one in that painting in Salzburg, and there's that third one in the painting <laughs> in Salzburg of that woman who's like, mm, I don't like this. Um, <laughs> well, I've been, but yeah, I, I've been. We've been lucky enough to um, get sent a game from Osprey Games called Imperium, and we got we got two different versions of this game, uh, Imperium Legends and Imperium Classics, and what they are is they're, they're essentially like Civilization games, like Sid Meier's Civ One through six but instead of uh using like a hex based board to recreate it essentially it uses like deck building mechanics so a bit like um something like star realms so you're you know instead of like growing your civilization out from a central point you're essentially growing your civilization inside a deck of cards and it's like the complete sort of antithesis of what we're talking of Gentle Rain, where Gentle Rain is very sort of slim and sort of purposefully trim and um, lean board game in terms of like its approach to engineering and design. Imperium is a incredibly more complex and nuanced um, experience, as, as you probably would expect from from a game that's aiming to recreate sort of like the buildings of civilizations so this is this is from nigel buckle and david turchie who um we might be familiar with if you remember when we spoken of before about roman roll um oh. he oh, yeah. he he was one of the designers on uh and that and and this joins one of the um sort of one of the sort of higher rated games that that i now have in my collection i'm not really one to follow the 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 sort of user ratings on the ever infamous board game geek um but this is this is at the moment imperium classics and imperium legends it's currently sitting at a lovely 8.1 um which puts it alongside uh, concordia but not as high as jaws of the lion chris which is 8.8 .8. oh well it's good to know that we are you know 
part of the zeitgeist. Yeah, really. yeah. It's just good, good to know sometimes where you play a game and go, oh, this is kind of where we this stand. is kind of good. And then you check Board Game Geek and it's got eight point one. It's like, well, okay, then we're obviously, you know, we're still on, we're still on the the trend on the on the zeitgeist. <laughs> still, still got it. Um, so I think what will what will appeal to you, Pete, about these games is that inside the box. Um, and it comes in this lovely, um, it's quite a big box, but you open it up and everything has already been segmented for you. There's not like a big sort of like dump of cards and that's it. There's this um, plastic insert um, where all the cards you need live in their very specific slots. And as part of that card sort of organisation system, in each box there's eight different civilizations that you can essentially like peruse like a menu at a restaurant and go um yeah i think i'll be the um egyptians um this evening or i think i'll be the arthurians uh if you're in, in like in the legends set and the um the civilizations themselves range from like the egyptians to the um greeks the celts romans um even some mythical ones like the utopians and the atlanteans um and they each play somewhat differently to each other. Some of them have different sort of win states. So the Arthurians, for example, um, are all about going on quests. And essentially you win if you re- manage to reach the Holy Grail rather than any of the, the standard win states that everyone else is going for. The Celts, they win, I think, by cause by making sure there's lots of unrest, <laughs> which I don't know is if, is if that's thematic or or not but yeah so essentially how the game works is everyone picks up their civilization from the box and there's like a central sort of um store that is quite of typical to deck building games and the idea is is just like in most games of this genre you'll be playing cards from your hand and discarding them drawing cards from a deck discarding them and then when you can't draw any more cards from your deck you'll be shuffling together cards that you've bought or cards that you've upgraded into a new deck and therefore hopefully building a better uh, collection of cards so how imperium works is every time you do that process of shuffling all the cards you bought and all the cards you upgrade into your deck that represents your civilization um, progressing through a certain stage and if you do that often enough you go from being a barbarian civilization to becoming an empire and it's been really nice to play something that as a player you can really get your teeth into and i sort of touched on this a bit when we were talking about unmatched and how yeah definitely um, you know you get a deck of cards that is yours and that is unique and in this and in, and in this instant represents a civilization and then you essentially have to learn about this civilization and learn what it is that makes them tick um what it is that is essentially going to make them what is essentially going to help what is essentially going to make them progress as a civilization what is going to make them what is going to make their engine as it were work most efficiently and I played this quite a few times, and and it, and it even has a, a very very good um, solo mode where you play against um, this bot that essentially just kind of like plays like automates part part of the experience. But you can just kind of are just free just to concentrate on like getting the most out of your civilization as it progresses. And yeah, as I said, like it's just wonderful to be able to really take a deep dive into something something that 
is as complex as it needs to be when I think it's dealing with these kind of themes and these this kind of um, approach and something that has really stretched me in terms of like interacting with people around the table i know that me you me chris we've we've played this um a few times yeah and like each play has been like whereas gentle rain is 20 minutes on your lunch break this is like an hour and a half two hours of really solid sort of deck building and card management and all that kind of stuff but it does that thing that deck builders do mm-hmm. so very very well when you have that that pile of cards that is on your and excuse me if i'm getting the name wrong but on your civilization which you can only access once you've managed to cycle through the deck yeah. and you know do that classic Sith thing of moving from being akin to a barbarian to a civilized kind of group of people really and knowing that that's there and, and having that physically represented is really lovely that it's a literal deck i go okay i'm going to work through this as well it also does that thing that i really really like where sam and i don't really interfere with each other's um, setup at all yeah. there is a central kind of tableau of cards that we can kind of get from or we can kind of you can do things to kind some, of disrupt each some other some civilizations do um do interact with each other a bit more what's great is at the back of the guide it kind of gives you an indication of a bit of a history of who the civilizations were a difficulty rating and a sort of an idea of how they play so the earlier difficulties or the ones or two stars don't necessarily interact with the other civilizations around them as much but later on in the game there are other mechanics where you are essentially able to attack other civilizations you're able to essentially like um there are things in the um in the shop called unrest cards and essentially the more that you buy from the shop the more that you're picking up these unrest cards and they work as basically trash in your hand so the more unrest you've got in your deck the more you're pulling rubbish basically into your hand that's not doing anything for you so there are certain ways that other civilizations can force you to pick up those unrest cards and force you to like have to right i've got to get rid of all of these before i can then move on so that was more of a symptom chris of like the difficulties of what we played with with. but that's a really good point because actually immediately now i want to i want to play as king arthur um you've very kindly given me i don't know to borrow or to have have i i think oh tarlad um the 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 classic version and you've got the legends and there is a comp you know i i've watched lots of reviews of this because i want to teach it to others because it it's just received glowing reviews across the board really mm-hmm. and a, a lot of it is because oh, i want to i want to try not only do i want to try this deck but i want to see what this deck looks like when paired against that yeah. deck there what yeah and, that, and it does that thing that civ does really really well where you're plugged on a map and it doesn't necessarily adhere to the geography as we know it and you'll have these different empires, these different civilizations rubbing up against each other, creating these interesting tensions, alliances, conflicts. And to have that with a deck of cards, it reminded me, Sam, a lot of like, it feels like what Oh My Goods does to some degree. Yes. And it may sound like I'm talking quite a complex game here, but actually the iconography on the cards is really clean. It's very clear. I picked up the language of it very, very quickly. And I'm not somebody who plays a lot of Civ games, particularly like board game or car game variants of them, really. And I, I was amazed how quickly I picked it up. The one thing I will say in regards to that, I think it is quite a daunting prospect to put in front of some people. Again, and this is strange how it's linking back to 
when we spoke about Unmatched. But again, it, it kind of bears a lot in similarities of putting Magic the Gathering in front of someone for the first time because Imperium has a very, very interesting manual where the first sort of four pages, and this is the same way that you teach someone Magic the Gathering, the first sort of four pages explains like the main mechanics of the game. And by that, I mean like, this is what you do on your turn. You've got three choices of what you can do on your turn. You either buy something from the shop, you either get rid of unrest cards, or you discard your hand or do something. Then if you trigger this, this happens. If you trigger that, that happens. And then it's the next player's turn. And that's it. The rest of the book is a glossary of all the terms that are on the cards. So essentially, this is like Magic the Gathering, where you put it in front of someone and go, right, you've got mana. You play that to cast spells, hit the other opponent, get them down to life. But then there's all of these glossary of other terms that change that original state. So essentially, you kind of... And it's kind of a double-edged sword, I think, with this, is that it's great in terms of... I just put it in front of Chris and was just like, just trust me. And like handed him the glossary and, you know, he looked at his card of hands and was just like, oh, so that what that does. Oh, that's what that does. Oh, that's what that does. Right. Now I know what I'm going to do on my turn. And then it slowly from that position, like slowly sort of speeds up, speeds up, speeds up, speeds up where you learn your deck and you learn what you're going to be doing. So, you know, exactly. So you don't need to rely on the glossary anymore. So that's i think a bit at its detriment is that kind of it is quite slow paced in terms of like to learning but i feel like it's almost part of its advantage that you kind of can just like plonk it down and pick up a civilization and go right let's go let's just just let's run with it we know i know the the the, the shape of a turn all i need to worry about is what was going on with my cards and i think chris was quite annoyed with me because he kept on going oh what does what does this mean i went just look at the guide chris look at the guide he's like what does this mean it's like just look at the guide i liked it sam when you described just then that you i had a, a card of hands a card of hands <laughs> <laughs> there probably there probably is a card of hands within there's probably a card called the card of hands within imperium but who would we who would i recommend this to i mean if you love civilization games are interested in like other civilizations then i think this is this is a really interesting game to kind of get yourself into. Like it isn't, it's exceedingly generous. Like when I first read that it was like eight civilizations in one box and then there's eight completely different civilizations in another box and they all play differently. So between me and Chris, we have 16 different civilizations to choose from. That kind of blew me away in terms of like the generosity of yeah. options and different different ways of 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 being able to play so there's definitely like you're definitely going to get your money's worth um with this yeah, without a doubt and i like the idea sam that if i wanted to go around to yours to play it i could just take one deck i take one of my civilizations stick it in my back pocket and i could walk around to yours exactly yeah well actually i probably drive and <laughs> yeah, don't, we'll just don't. And, and and there's something that feels again like as you say sam the magic the gathering this is my deck mm -hmm. yeah yeah, and, and the, the more you play it, the more you'd specifically be able to learn the specifics of that deck and how it worked and what what kind of things you need to buy from the shop to benefit it. And there is a theme within that as well. So, like, the you know, the deck of the Greeks don't necessarily go for, 
like land grabbing and stuff like that it's a lot more about the the philosophy like the social progression whereas i said the like the celts before and the romans there is a lot more of that like attacking military aggression so there is theme and there is structure within those civilizations that that do match and do give you decisions on what what do i need to do here what do i need to play well i need to play more like you know the actual civilization that i've picked that was another episode of Staying In with myself, Chris Darby, Daniel Frost, Sam Turner and Peter Willington. Or, we don't know really, it was one of the variants of Peter Willington. Uh, Loki was a fantastic TV series. I literally just caught the finale uh, yesterday um, as of recording this. And I think they really did stick the landing with that one. We were all a little bit worried about it, especially Pete. Uh, but they've done a really good job. Uh, Sophia DiMartino is just fantastic. And I really, really love Natalie Holt's score. And speaking of music, uh, I have been keeping um, updated our Spotify page for the podcast. And essentially anything we uh, experience that has its own piece of music, we uh, have cultivated different playlists that respond to that really. And they're kind of tea-themed, because that's something that we all agree on, at least. And I'm very much looking forward to picking um, a track from the fantastic Loki score and putting it um, in one of our playlists, really, there. So stayinginpod.gmail.com is where you can email us if you want to. You don't have to, but if you want to, you can. Maybe you are a variant of Peter Willington who just wants to stay in touch and say that I am the real Peter Willington. That's also fine. That would be a great subject heading to see in an email. Um, you may want to just ask us a question or take umbrage with uh, the glowing reviews we've given the three things we've spoken about in this episode. That is also fine. We're also on social media feeds as well, uh, trying to be social, trying to be active. At Staying In Pod, we'll have you covered for basically the big ones. And on our Instagram page in particular, um, which has been quite active, I do a little show and tell of a gentle rain on there for those who are curious and want to see it in action and we'll see you in two weeks um, for another uh, episode of the pod hopefully have all four of us there again because it's lovely when we're all together and we try and move heaven and earth to make sure that we can get that good social time with each other and hopefully you enjoy that as well but until next time look after yourself take care and speak to you soon. Bye.